you're having your seat. Our children are dismissed to go to their children's church. We love you kids. Hope you all learn a lot today. As we think about that song, you know, um, you know, the heart of worship is, uh, it, it says you, there's more than a song that you require. And the fact of the matter is, is it, it is more than a song. He requires our lives to be lives that are worshipful. And, 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 and how we do that is not just that we have the Jesus speak and the Christianese and say the right things. It's, it's our character, how we conduct ourselves. Uh, it's the good works that we do. It's, it's that we do good works even in the hard times uh, to the people who we would rather not do the good works for, right? That's, that's also part of this. And, and, and I think, you know, that, that song, that song came out, I think whenever I was like near college or college age. And, and, uh, and, 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 and so even as we sung it, I was like, man, this has some deep resonances with me um, going back to those, those years whenever I was in Bible college and, and singing that song often. Um, but uh, but as we as we come together today, you know, we have offered up our worship to the Lord. And, and our prayer is, is that that came from a, a heart of deep love and gratitude um, and joy in the Lord and and also just a, a reverent place of going, I, I, I don't even, I can't, I, I can't explain you, God. I can't, I, I can't, I can't comprehend you, but I'm just standing before you just knowing that you are, you are. And so um, we've offered our worship and, and, and as we get to the word, we're going to talk about how we take and we, we live these worshipful lives uh, this, this week as we go from this place. Uh, let's do this. Let's bow our heads, bow our hearts. Let's bow before the Lord and maybe just think about that for a second. That uh, we, we try to comprehend that which is incomprehensible. He who is incomprehensible. As a gift, he, he showed us who he is in, in the man Christ Jesus. That's a gift. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, we pray this morning. We thank you for the time of fellowship that we had at our weekly connect. We thank you for the time of worship that we've had. Lord, our prayer is, is that as we have gathered together today, that it has been pleasing unto you. That's been honoring to you. Lord, that it... Uh, if we could anthropomorphize you, if we could see you, like it would put a smile on your face, God. You'd be delighted. Uh, Lord, we know not everything we do does delight you. Some things grieve you deeply. So, Lord, we pray and we ask that as we come to, to, to studying your word, to expounding upon your word, that, that your spirit would do that, uh, that surgical work. Uh, opening up our blind eyes to the ways in which we've, uh, we've been grievous this week, Lord. Uh, Lord, not only do, do we do grievous things, Lord, grievous things are done to us. And so, Lord, in part we come to you, not only just so that you can expose where we need to be corrected and cleaned and cleansed, but, Lord, 
we also come needing your healing ministry, God. People said things to us this week that made us feel less than dignified. Lord, we, we, we had an onslaught of media and, and news that, that probably just broke our heart. And too much of it for us to actually bear. And so, Lord, we, we come not only asking you to open our eyes to, to, our, to the wrongs that we do, but, Lord, also we come that you could salve us, Lord, that you could soothe us, that you could minister to us because we have hurting hearts as well. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would be with me as I proclaim your word. I pray that, Lord, you would, uh, I pray that I would just say everything that your Holy Spirit wants me to say. I pray that what the people hear, what we all hear, what we receive is not the words, uh, the, the empty words of Macaulay Austin, but Lord, the, 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 the full words of your Holy Spirit, of you, God. Lord, I pray and I ask that you would just please uh, even be glorified in this. We pray and we ask these things in Christ's mighty resurrected name. Amen. <clears throat> so as we've been wandering as exiles, right, wandering as exiles through the book of First Peter, um, we come to this place in First Peter where he is going to tell uh, servants to submit to masters. He says, submit to the ones who are good and benevolent and to submit to the ones who are uh, harsh, cruel. Um, and, and he does this because he's applying, a, 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 it's, it's an application of a principle that he lays out earlier. In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he, he, he puts out this principle and he says, um, <clears throat> he says that we are to live honorable lives. The way that Eugene Peterson in the message translates it, I, I, I like a lot because it's just kind of down to earth. But uh, he says, uh, uh, he translates 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. 12 like this he says live an exemplary life in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices live an exemplary life in your neighborhood that's what peter wants them to do he says i want you to live uh, an honorable life i want you to live an exemplary life and then he's like well what does that look like and then he begins and last week we said he he, he, he laid out that uh, hey, you submit to the to the governing institutions about you, and now he's going to address servants, and he's going to tell them to submit to their masters, and and and, and so so in all of this, in all of this, he addresses this this two possibilities. If you submit to the governing institutions, we we shouldn't just think about the nasty, horrible things that could happen to us in doing that. You should also think they have the power to, to, to honor people. They have the power to, uh, and the authority to, 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 to see your good and to, to honor you. We talked about it uh, with the story of, uh, that we find in the book of uh, Esther last week. Uh, that's what uh, uh, Mordecai, Mordecai uh, was actually honored for the good that he did. And uh, that's how Haman's evil plot was undone, actually, twisted up. Um, uh, the trap that he, uh, the trap that he laid for Mordecai is the is the trap that he got he got caught in. Um, but this week he's going to talk about suffering, and he's going to say, "Hey, if you have to suffer, suffer patiently." Now, this this historically, 
has been misused. Let's say people have drawn some wrong conclusions and they've suffered unnecessarily because of texts like this. We see it historically in the church itself, and it's happened in individuals' lives. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to really understand what Peter is saying so that we can understand what he's not saying also, so that we can see, hey, how can we rightly apply this to our lives, to our context? Because that's what Peter's doing here. He's taking a principle. He says, I want you to live honorable lives, and then he's applying it in the context that he's talking to. And whenever I say, like, I think it's people have drawn some wrong conclusions and, 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 and endured unnecessary suffering. Three questions came to my mind. And, uh, and they're suppositions, they're based off suppositions that I think some of y'all might have heard or believed. I know I did and have at times uh, thought that this was the case. So... Supposition one is, is the Christian life supposed to be a life of suffering? That's the question. Is that what it is? Are, are we just called to a life of suffering, period? That's what, that's what it means to be a Christian, if you will. Question number two is suffering the goal of discipleship. Is, is, is following Jesus, that's what discipleship is. My following Jesus is the goal of my following Jesus just to simply suffer. And then uh, question number three is, are we required to endure suffering which we could escape? So those are the questions, and we'll get into those in a few minutes. But before we do, let's go ahead and read the text. Brother Will, I just remembered that I did not put the right text up there, so um, you, you, you can either pull it up or plug it in, or y'all can just follow along in your own Bibles and, uh, or, and, uh, and, and, uh, or just listen well. But it's chapter 2, verses 18 through uh, 25 is what we're going to read. Peter says, Servants. Or slaves, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward or to the harsh. All right? Servants, slaves, be subject to your masters with all fear. Uh, he doesn't even need to say the first part. To the good and gentle, of course, you're going to be a good, uh, a good submissive servant. But he has to add the last part but also to the fore. For this is thanksworthy, or this is commendable. This is, this is what gets you an boy and an girl. This is what, uh, this is what like, sets you apart from the rest. This is what will make you peculiar in your situation. If... A man or a woman, we could say, if a person for conscious toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. So this is commendable. If, if you, because of your faith, your love, your trust, your dependence upon God, your, 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 your trust in God's uh, ability to, uh, to, to judge righteously and to vindicate and to, to make things right, if, because of your faith in God, 
because your mind and your heart, your conscious, right, toward God. If you suffer wrongfully, if you suffer unjustly, it's commendable if you can patiently endure unjust treatment. That's commendable. That's what looks peculiar. Uh, he says, but, uh, or he says, for what glory is it? Where's the commendation? Uh, what, we could even say, what's unique about this? Just simply. If when you are buffeted or you're punished, beaten, for your faults, you shall take it patiently. Uh, I want my children to accept the consequences of their actions and the punishments that come along whenever we say, don't do this. I want them to take that well. Uh, Peter says, hey, there's no great commendation to be had if you are talking bad about your boss. And you get in trouble for it. Or you suffer some consequences for it. Peter says there's no, there's, there's no commendation. There's no glory. In you uh, going in to your job with a bad attitude. And loafing on the job. Uh, and then you. <laughs> your boss coming down on you and saying you have a bad attitude. And you need to clear it up. Or you're loafing on the job. Uh, that's a warning. If that happens, and you take that like a good little boy or a good little girl, Peter says, there's nothing to that. And then he comes back again and he says, uh, he says, but if you are doing good, uh, if you do well, if you do good work, you have a good attitude if you are if you are doing all the things you're going above and beyond the call of duty and yet because your boss is an irascible capricious uh, swindling jerk and they don't honor you and they don't say, hey, well done, take, take the weekend off. They say, oh, I need you to come in on Saturday. Or they take credit for your effort and your labor. Or they don't give you the profit sharing. Or they don't give you stock points. As they should. If this happens, and you patiently endure it, you endure it with a good attitude. You continue to do above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, you continue to uh, perform at a high level. You continue to be honoring to your fellow employees. You continue to be honoring and respectful to your boss who does not deserve any honor or respect. If you do well, if you do good work, or do good works, and then you suffer for it, and you endure it patiently, 
That's commendable. And then he gets into Jesus. He says, for even hereunto are we called. Or we're invited into this life. This is a beautiful, beautiful uh, 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 practical point of Jesus that moves into a theological reality. He says, for even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us. And he left us an example. This is a practical example that we get from Jesus Christ, suffering the cruel, harsh death that he suffered. He said, uh, he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. He did no sin, neither was there deceit or guile found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, when he was spoken harshly against and punished, he reviled not again. He did not uh, get uh, an eye for an eye. When he suffered, he did not threaten. In fact, we could go one step further. He, instead of threatening them, he offered them forgiveness. He prayed for their good. But he committed Committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. This practical reality, and Peter can't stay out of the theology. He says, man, not only does he give us an example, but you know what happened through this example that he set before us? He took all the sin, all the wrong that was done to him. And theologically, we say all the wrong that was done in this world. And he takes it upon himself. And he puts it to death on the cross. He bore his own, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. You know what he did? He didn't just put sin to death for himself. All that hate. All the, all the people wagging their fingers, scoffing him. All the, all the, all, all the injustice of the Sanhedrin. All the, all the, all the oh, timidity and cowardice of Pilate. He, he took all that and, and he put it to death himself. He bore it. He didn't lash back out. He bore it. He put it to death. But he didn't just put that to death. He put your sinful nature, my sinful nature. He put, he put our, our desire to, to want to get back at people. He said, I'm putting that to death so that you can live to righteousness or to right living, to justice. He said, by his stripes, we are healed. He said, for you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd, the bishop of your soul. Well, that's a, Powerful passage of scripture. Uh, get back to the point here. He says that uh, Christians are to be suffering. Disciples, chosen exiles, are to submit even if it involves suffering. Uh, first of all, what I want us to do today is understand very clearly what he is saying here. And, and then so that we can understand what he is not. Because I don't want us to misread this and think for even here unto were you called we were not called and we were not invited simply to a life of suffering 
we are invited, we are called to a particular way of enduring suffering. That's the supposition. It's not that we are, have to suffer because Jesus suffered. It's if we suffer, we better look like Jesus in doing it. Or to say it more softly, if you have to suffer, Jesus shows you there's a better way of suffering. So how do we make sure that we know that that's what he's saying? Well, for a couple things, I just want us to be clear about who he's writing to, okay? Uh, he is writing to servants. Uh, earlier, uh, he addressed uh, uh, those people who would be subservient to governing institutions. Um, his audience, his audience are the people who are on the underside of things, all right? His audience are the people who are on the margins. His audience are the people who do not have the political clout. They don't have status. They don't have wealth. They are not the ones in leadership. That answers, we should understand that. That his audience are those people, and that is why he does not address governors and emperors. Because he's not writing to governors and emperors. That is not why, that's also why he doesn't address masters. See, what we... If we have to get this point because some people will say, well, look, Peter just talks to all the people who are on the underside and he doesn't address those guys. And so they get to do whatever they want. And these people have to submit. That would be a wrong way and a wrong conclusion to draw from him not addressing the emperors, governors, or masters. In fact, Paul will address masters in his letters, which should lead us to suppose that Paul believed in that church that he was particularly writing to, there were people who were slaves or servants, and there were people who were uh, masters, right? Peter omits talking to those people because they are not part of his audience. I say that to say this. A lot of people have taken it that because of Peter's omission, that means those guys who are in governing authority, those people who are the wealthy masters, they get to do as they please. That's a wrong conclusion. If Peter were to be writing to them, and if he had in his mind, in his pastor's heart, hey, there's some masters that need to be addressed, he would say, okay, servants, you submit to your masters. Masters, listen up. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Because there's a particular way to be a master. Because Jesus is king. He is the one with authority. He has all wealth. He has all honor. He has all privilege. He has all authority. And there's a particular way in which he used his authority. Right? And the particular way that he used his authority was to become like a servant. Suffering. Obedience, servant, even to the point of death. So he can address either or. I want us to understand who he's talking to. And, and, and while we say this, I'm just going to say this as an aside, um, but I, I think it's an important point. When we talk about slaves and we talk about servants, when we're reading the New Testament, we should not think about antebellum slavery of the United States of America. It's not the same institution. 
In fact, uh, just kind of let y'all know this uh, here. Uh, this is from Scott McKnight. He says, slavery was a diverse institution in the ancient world. It altered itself from one culture to another. Yet the Roman and Greek worlds anchored their entire economic system in this institution. Some have estimated that one-third of the population in urban areas was slave population. In both worlds, especially the Roman world, which is our interest for 1 Peter, slavery was not usually a permanent condition of life. Rather, it was a temporary condition on the path toward freedom. Slavery was not a permanent condition for life. It was a temporary uh, condition on the path toward freedom. What you should understand is that people would voluntarily go into servitude because either they could work and they could save up enough money so that they could buy their freedom and become a citizen of Rome. Or just by their good work and by their good behavior, by their good manner of living, they, they, their master might free them and release them so that they could become a Roman citizen. It was, a, it was part of their economic system. It was a completely different institution than ours. That is not to say that there weren't, that, so that shouldn't make us understand there were good masters. There were the good, benevolent, kind ones and then there probably were those arrogant jerks right so i want us to understand who he's talking to here and the context there a little bit because we have to understand we're not in the same context and i really want to get to this i really want us to see this text like this if we can't see the context that they're in and we can't see our context and we can't see all this stuff together we can take these texts and we can do horrible things and people have in america people legitimized the institution of slavery that we had which was not a temporary condition which was a permanent lifestyle which was not giving dignity and freedom to people but stealing people's lives exploiting their lives they took it in texts like this they used it to legitimize well there's slaves in this world and the text only addresses the slave so there's going to be masters and they don't have any nobody's talking to them they're just if you're a slave this is what you need to do and so we know historically these texts have been brought people to wrong conclusions. They've been applied very terribly. And they have, they have upheld injustice and unnecessary suffering. The questions I ask, I ask because it's not just about the institution of slavery, but it's about our daily lives. You and I, if we have a supposition that the Christian life is that we're called to a life of suffering, period, full stop. Or that the goal of discipleship is that we suffer. Then I believe you and I will not, we will unnecessarily suffer things that we should rather escape. And so... I bring us back to our supposition. Number one, 
Peter doesn't say, he does not say, you are called to a life of suffering. You have to understand, suffering is not unique to Christians. Everybody in this world suffers. We should know some people suffer far more than other people suffer. I have uh, my nephew is facing some hard times right now. And uh, I, I was asked to write a letter to the judge along with the rest of our family. And I just thought about the life that my nephew was subjected to. Now, he had a lot of people who loved him, but he had a lot of trauma in his life as well. Before he was 12 years old, he experienced more trauma than I've ever experienced in my 40 years. Some people suffer more than others. We should also be sensitive to that. Because some people, instead of saying, hey, that is really bad suffering, they go, well, we all suffer because they get defensive. We see this happening in the political spectrum today, too. People denying that other people have suffered more than others. Or people being defensive. Well, we've all suffered, and it's not fair for any of us. And then wanting to uphold things that are just unfair and unjust. That doesn't make sense. But I think it stems from this. If we think that our Christian existence is called to just flat out having to suffer, we've missed it. It's not that we are called to suffer. We are called to a particular way of suffering. There's a way that you and I are supposed to endure hard times. And that way was exemplified in the man Christ Jesus. And that way means this, that whenever people are being nasty to me, I don't have license to be nasty back. What? I am so, so, so burdened and sickened that so many Christians do this thing whenever they get into the political warfare. They start being nasty, irreverent, and disrespectful to the other team because they're on the other team. And they think that they have just cause to do so. That's not looking like Jesus. It looks nothing like the one who was, whose face was spit upon, whose beard was plucked out, and he endured it with compassion and love in his heart. Not vengeance, not, oh, you're going to get yours. Oh, yeah, I can't wait until you burn. No, none of that was part of him. He endured it saying, God, help them. They do not know what they're doing. But you and I, if we're going to endure suffering well, you and I have to get that heart of compassion. And, it's, and I'm going to tell you, the world's not feeding a heart of compassion. The world is not pumping us full of compassion rhetoric. The world is full of fear-mongering rhetoric. You know why they're doing that, don't you? This is why they're doing it. You know why they have purple hair, don't you? You know, all they want to do is, is get little boys and girls and, 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 and confuse their gender, don't you? 
they probably are people who want to do that. But, but, but I know this, that most people who are confused about their gender, they're deeply broken from traumatic experiences that have happened in their life. Dr. Boone, I, I brought this up at one point, but, but after one of our messages, uh, we were standing out on the porch, and he said, you know, and, and of course he works in the addiction industry, and he has a bunch of different people and deeply flawed, traumatic, traumatized, broken individuals uh, that he counsels with regularly. And he said, you know, he said, when we see somebody who has piercings in their, in their face and, 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 and they're, they're, let's just say, whenever they're walking around, looking scarred and instead of us having a heart of compassion and going i wonder what hurt them and we look at them in disgust and go oh can't believe they're not fitting into my society he said that that's where the real problem is when somebody lashes out at you let's not even talk about the political issues when your boss is a jerk to you maybe your boss had a bad day too Maybe your boss is under some pressure that you aren't, that you're not aware of. See, we aren't called to a life of suffering, but we are called to a particular way of suffering. And in fact, suffering is not the goal of discipleship, but this particular way of suffering is the goal of discipleship. Suffering like Jesus, being like Jesus, no matter what's happening in our day is the goal of discipleship. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm not just going to follow him on Sunday morning whenever it's convenient and we can all come together and we can all sing the songs and we can all be one together. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him whenever I get the call that says you have the big C word. I'm going to follow him and I'm going to say, Oh, God, I would that this cup would pass from me. Could it pass from me? But if it doesn't, let me endure this as you want me to endure it. In the way you want me to endure it. Being like Jesus, whenever your boss says, <laughs> Brittany, Brittany handed something to her boss, and she worked on it for hours, and she said, don't change anything. And he said, what? And she said, don't change anything. And he said, what? And she, she, and she said, don't change. And, he, and she's like, okay, I see what you're saying. She got it back and he had changed it. It was frustrating. It was maddening to her. She felt offended by it. But being like Jesus is whenever your boss says, let me see your work and gives it back. And you just put three hours into something and they undo it all. This is the type of stuff that Peter's addressing. You are not called to a life of suffering. You're called to a particular way of suffering. The goal of discipleship is to learn the particular way to suffer. And I think if we can grab that, then you and I should be free to know this. We don't have to unnecessarily endure suffering. See, if you're a servant and you're in, 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 this, in this situation, you only have a couple options. And we know one of the options because uh, in Paul's letter to uh, Philemon, uh, Onesimus took one of the options. You could run away from your master. But guess what? Now you're a criminal. That doesn't make things better for you. 
And, and do you think when you come back, your master, who was already cruel, harsh, mean, whatever, is going to be any better to you? Ah, that's not a good option for those people. Uh, here's the best option for people in a situation that they can't get out of. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and endure this with good attitude, good character, honoring these people. But guess what? You and I, we are in the same situation and we have freedom to make some choices. And so we should understand that our, our Heavenly Father doesn't go, hey, you know what the point of your whole life is? Is that you suffer. No, our Heavenly Father says, I, I suffered in Christ so that I can relieve this world of suffering. But guess what? Suffering and injustice and exploitation and oppression is still here. But we've gotten to this place, not because people have gotten so bright, but because God's spirit has moved us to this place to where, hey, we're not going to lock people into situations where they have to endure suffering unnecessarily. And so people ask questions about like, well, you know, I can't get a divorce because I'm supposed to suffer. That's what it means to be a Christian. No, it doesn't. It means a particular way of suffering. And if you're suffering in a marriage, you have the freedom to go to God and let the spirit guide you and direct you. And the spirit can guide you and direct you to say, hey, I need you to stick with it. Like Paul said, if you can endure peaceably, Stick with it because you could be the salvation of that person. But God might also say, hey, there's life outside of this. And some, some of the healthiest marriages that we have in this congregation came out of uh, our, our second marriages. And here's what I would say. If God's grace is there for us in those moments. And I'm not advocating then go get divorces i'm saying we have freedom to pursue the holy spirit this is not a law that says that if you are in a situation where you're suffering you have to stick it up because that's what the christian life is i'm saying we have freedom to listen to god and to pursue him and to let him speak to us and let him lead us first we want him to lead us to know the particular way of suffering like Jesus. Next, we want him to lead us to say, okay, God, I'm in this job and it's terrible. Do you want me to stay here? And if you do, God, fill me with your spirit so I could be the brightest light that I can be here. Or God, I can't get out of this job because I have all this debt and I have all this mortgage and I have all, I'm up to my eyeballs here. I wish I could get out, but I can't. But God, please help me. To stop having a cruddy, I'm going to say it, crappy attitude every day. Please forgive the curse. Please save me from having a horrible attitude every day. Guess what? Guess what? His spirit will fill you with joy unspeakable that you can't tap into from any other reserve. Because if you're looking for joy in your job, I can promise you, you're not going to find it. He can fill you with that which you need so that you can endure the suffering looking like Jesus. And so my brothers and my sisters, I come to you today to say this. We need to learn how to suffer like Jesus. And that's what we're talking about. When we suffer, we suffer like Jesus. But don't 
think that they aren't just called to suffer, and that's the discipleship suffering that I have, I just have to endure it. And listen, when you get this freedom, that actually gives you energy to actually endure the suffering with a good attitude. Because if you know, hey, I could go to God and I could say, God, I don't like this and I'm walking away and God would say, okay, walk away. Then I'm not kicking rocks and whenever I'm walking down the street and going, oh, get out of this, but God won't let me get out of this. No, we go, we have a God who's free. He says, go do it. Be free. If you want to stay in it, I'll fill you with what you need to stay in it. And if you want to leave, my grace is always there. It's a, it's a resource that never runs dry. And so, my brothers and my sisters, let's be free to suffer like Jesus. And let's know that we have the freedom to escape unnecessary suffering. And let's trust this. His spirit is there for us through all of it. And with that, I say, amen. When you bow your head or you close your eyes, Will you go to God and talk to God about what God is talking to you about right now? I don't know what God is speaking to you. Maybe you just needed to know today that our God is a God who gives us freedom.